A reading from Jonah chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarsus. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarsus to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below the deck, where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What shall we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made a vow to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Here ends our Bible reading. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I celebrate the opportunity to participate in this series of Sunday morning messages on the Old Testament prophets. When asked to do so, I had to give some thought to what prophet I, that I would like to speak about. And being a retired pastor, I'm a bit out of practice 
to regular preaching schedule. So I thought it might be wise to choose a familiar prophet. And that was Jonah. A short little book of only four chapters. I also thought, how much trouble can I get into in only four chapters? Like many of you, I've been aware of the Jonah story and the big fish for many years, going back to my Sunday school years. So how hard can a message be about a big fish? I mean, I've told a few fish stories before, so that should fit pretty good. But in reading the story anew, I noticed that the fish is only mentioned in two verses, which we heard earlier in our reading. That's why we really can't be distracted by the, the big fish. But what can get our attention in this short book are the many wonderful truths concerning God's love and concern for people of all races and nations, and with what attitude we are to reach out to them. They are wonderful, important, guiding principles and truths that can really speak to us today. So to begin with, I think it's important for us to know who is Jonah. Jonah was a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel during the reign of King Jeroboam II. Before Israel was taken captive and taken into exile by Assyria in the year 721 BC, the nation had had a time of great national prosperity. However, as Jonah's contemporary prophet Amos tells us, the nation was really spiritually weak. They oppressed the poor, lived extravagant indulgence in luxurious living, and there was corruption of all kinds. Assyria, on the other hand, was known for its, its cruelty to captives which torture and slavery of the worst kinds. So Jonah was asked by God to go to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, to bring a message of repentance. Jonah not only rejected God's call, he ran from God. See, Jonah's heart had no desire to bring this forgiving message to the cruel, hated, pagan Assyrians. On the ship in the storm, we learn more about Jonah's heart. When he was asked by his shipmates, in verse 8 of our text, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? From what people are you? These are questions we might also ask a visitor or stranger that would come into our church, into our midst. We ask them, 
in essence, who are you? I mean, where do you work? Where's your home? Do you have a family? And so on. Why do we ask such questions? Well, they are identity questions for us. You know, our identity refers to those characteristics, those personality traits by which we are, we are recognized or known to others we come in contact with. Maybe it's through our occupation that we're a, a doctor, a, a lawyer, a farmer, a pastor. Maybe it's part of our personality, having a known for having a sense of humor, a, a strong work ethics, being friendly, or maybe being too stubborn. You know, the sailors are trying to determine Jonah's identity and why, why the danger they were in was taking place. Who is your God, Jonah? Who is responsible for this trouble we're in? We remember that in the ancient world, every place, every occupation, every culture, every group had different gods who believed to be the source of all their life's experiences. Jonah's identity and the God he followed was important for these sailors to know. Just like the source of our identity is important to us and to others we encounter. See, our identity is shaped by many different places we have gone and lived, by the uh, significant relationships that have been a part of our lives, the various experiences that, that make up our life. Again, identities are important. And they can be good and a great blessing to us. But at times, our identity can become a god in a sense which controls how we feel about ourselves and about others and ultimately how we will respond to them. Now back on the ship, it's only when the lot is cast and the ship's crew find out that it was Jonah. And he's confronted by, by his fellow sailors. And that's the first time we get a, a response from this reluctant prophet. Who is he? In Jonah's words, I am a Hebrew. Think about that. Before anything else, Jonah proclaims his identity in ethnic terms. You know, Jonah could have proclaimed his identity in terms of his personal relationship with God or in his occupation of being God's called messenger and the mission that he was called to do. An author that I 
really learned to love by the name of Timothy Keller, wrote a book about Jonah called The Prodigal Prophet. And in that book, he points out how this identity of ethnic significance affected Jonah's life and attitude. Keller says this, says the prospect of calling people of other nations to faith in God would not be appealing under any circumstances to someone with this spiritual shallow identity. I like that, spiritual shallow identity. He goes on to say, Jonah's relationship with God was not as basic to his significance as his race. That is why when loyalty to his people and loyalty to the word of God seemed to be in conflict, Jonah chose to support his nation over taking God's love and message to a new society. The words of Timothy Keller. His race and nation have become idols to Jonah. This in turn leads Jonah to exclude others who were different from him. You know, that's called cultural exclusion. Cultural exclusion. When we see and look at others who are different from us, not in our culture or our racial, racial circles, do we desire and perhaps exclude them? You know, this attitude can lead to things like racism, judgments, avoidance, segregation. You know, Jesus talks to us in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, and he said these words, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He goes on to say, If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? You know, in Jesus' time, it was common to greet anyone with the word shalom. Shalom, a Hebrew word meaning peace and wholeness, prosperity, completeness. When you said shalom, you, you were saying, may health, may prosperity be upon you. You want only good things to happen to that greeted person, no matter, no matter who they were, what their skin color was, how they were dressed, how they, what their identity, how they felt about themselves. The will and desire to say, to say Salome flows out of the undeserved grace of God in our lives.
Again, I share some words from Timothy Keller when he says he, referring to Jesus and talking about this verse, he, Jesus, does not say that everyone is equally right and good, but he does insist that their needs as human beings are equally important, regardless of their beliefs. He charges, Jesus charges his disciples to open their hearts to those who are different and to make space for them in their attention, in their emotions, and in their lives. You know, when we understand God's grace and have a, a deep dependence, trust in God, we see it is possible to open our hearts to people who are different from us in race, religion, all areas. You know, in talking about this grace of God, who better to refer to than Martin Luther, who said this about God's grace? Such confidence and knowledge of God's grace makes you happy, joyful, and bold in your bold in your relationship to God and all creatures. Says the Holy Spirit makes this happen through faith. Because of it, grace, you freely, willingly, joyfully do good to everyone. You serve everyone. Suffer all kinds of things. Love and praise the God who has shown you such grace. God's grace shown to us is shown to us throughout the Bible. It is God's grace that we receive through the sacraments of holy baptism and the Lord's Supper. In them, God shows us what to do, what Jonah could not do. To investigate our hearts, to recognize our failures and admit them in repentance. You know, for us to be immersed in the depths of God's grace in our lives. And then we can go to bring his compassion and care to others. Even those with deeply opposing views, beliefs, cultural backgrounds. God's amazing grace. His undeserved love for us means we cannot stay cursed above others, away from them, excluding them, running away from them. No, now our identity, our identity in God's grace is there for, for all to see. And it's expressed so well in Holy Spirit's mission statement. 
when it tells us that our task, our identity as a church, is to be compassionate, challenging, and especially inclusive. To that end, and to his glory, amen.